1: Sign up free now at anfieldindex.com forward slash discord. You won't regret it. You can also follow us on Twitter at Anfield Index and find us on Facebook by searching for Anfield Index. Oh, and before you go, we'd love it if you could leave us a five-star review on your favourite podcast app. It only takes a couple of seconds and it means the world to the people who create these free shows.
2: Hello and welcome to AI Scouted on Anfield Index Pro. I'm Dave Hendrick, joined as always by Mr. Carl Matchett, live from one of the air-conditioned offices in the marble halls of the Independence office building. How are you, sir?
3: Apologetic for being late and uh, certainly not air-conditioned anywhere whatsoever, but there you go.
2: (laughs) You sit in your air-conditioning with your laptop like them nasty, rainy people at Liverpool all them years ago. Trying to run poor Brendan Rodgers out of a job, uh, Carl. We'll jump straight in and we'll get to a couple of talking points before we get on to the main focus of this pod, which will be Liverpool's home game against Aston Villa. Uh, so let's start with what's most Liverpool relevant. Jurgen Klopp has been given a two-game touch-gate, touchline ban, one of which will be suspended. And a seventy or seventy five thousand pound fine, so he will not be in the dugout for saturday 's game against Aston Villa, which is a bit of a shame, but uh it, we knew it was coming at some point
3: yes, if i'm being completely honest, I was expecting both games for the rest of the season to to be missing him um it's usually around the sort of time that they Put it down when it's coming up to the end of the campaign, but I guess this way they can avoid any uh, accusations, let's say, of affecting the top four race if he is back for the final day of the season. Um, Look, I don't think there can be too many complaints. He's he's had one or two instances this season, he's already had a warning, so it was all right. Like you say, it was already going to be a suspension this time around. And if anything does happen again next season, then it would be, I think, two games plus that suspended one.
2: Yeah, they are putting him on notice for his uh, his future conduct without question. So that will mean Pepin Linders obviously will be in the dugout on Saturday. But this game on Saturday is notable for a number of things. And obviously the top four race is one of them. But the other one, Carl, is the fact that this will be the last home game uh, for which Naby Keita, Alex Oxlade-Chamberlain, James Milner and Roberto Firmino will be Liverpool players. now. I would be absolutely stunned if Nabby or Ox make the bench for the next two games, let alone play a minute. We know that Milner and Bobby uh will be involved in one or two of these games, and it looks like Bobby is going to be fit enough to at least make the bench this weekend, which should see him get an incredible farewell, even the travelling cop sang his song for full on twelve minutes. Uh, in our last game, away to Leicester. I could see something similar in this game.
3: Yeah, I think first time he goes out to warm up, we're going to get a nice big rendition of that again. And, you know, he's probably been overall my favourite player of the club era. Uh, I think a lot of people would feel similar, either, you know, top couple at the very least out of all the the players that we've had. He's played such an important role. He had some unbelievable seasons for us. Uh, I do hope that he gets you know, a send-off which would rival that of, think back to some of the overseas players, like Sammy Herbier, for example, when he left. Um, you know, it's a little bit different because we're getting, as you say, several players leave this time. And usually the focus is only on one player, but you was know, given so much and achieved so much with the club. It's, it's right that he gets the, the lion's share, let's say, of the attention.
2: Yeah, I mean... As as it's worked out because of injuries, Nabi and Ox have only ever really been bit part and squad players. James Milner has only been a squad player since the start of seventeen eighteen he's been a squad player. So, you know, they're they've contributed. They've all played parts in winning trophies for the club. Um Nabi obviously big contribution last year. Ox had a big contribution in the title-winning season, and Milner played a role, obviously, across the board. But I would say the biggest contribution he made was actually in the early days under Klopp of just sort of filling in where he was needed. As Jürgen built the team, Milner was kind of the the stopgap he could throw in at left-back, for example. Um, So they've all played a role, but Bobby played a starring role. And Bobby was part of that amazing front three. In many ways, he was the first piece of what would become the great Liverpool team to land at the club. I know Henderson and Milner were already there, but their roles changed quite drastically as well. Milner to a left-back and then a squad player. Henderson into, at times, that kind of playmaking six and then back into the more familiar... Box to box role that he'd played under Rogers. Whereas when Jurgen took over, Bobby had come in under Rogers and kind of been shunted out on the wing, and he was played as a wing back in one game. And some people were very quick to try and write him off. And then once Klopp came in, it all started to make sense. And I thought the night that Bobby really arrived was the game at home to Arsenal when he scores twice, the second of which is an absolute peach of a goal from the edge of the box that gives Petr Cech no chance. And for me, that was the night that I I knew we were going to get the player I'd seen at Hoffenheim, because this was somebody that I'd been championing us to sign. This was somebody that I'd seen play for Hoffenheim as a 10. And I thought, because we had Sturridge at the time, and we had Coutinho at the time, and we had Sterling at the time, I thought, well, if we could get him as the 10, Sturridge as the 9, Sterling right wing and Coutinho left wing, in a four-two-three-one, that's really promising. And obviously, we brought in Emre, we had Henderson. I was thinking to myself, right, there's your potential midfield pair. You might want to upgrade on it, but that'll do. And then we can focus on actually getting a proper defence put together. Now, obviously, Sterling leaves the summer Bobby comes in so we don't get to see it anyway and then when Jurgen comes in Sturridge gets injured and, and things start to change but what was your first sort of oh I love this guy kind of moment with Bobby
1: are you that person who has everything the coolest merch and those must have fan threads well over at our Anfield Index shop we've gone that extra mile when it comes to pimping up your Liverpool collection just head over to anfieldindex.shop or find us on Etsy by searching for Anfield Index.
3: I don't know about the first one now. I mean, the Man City game where him and Coutinho sort of tore them apart was definitely one of the earlier ones. Um, The Arsenal one that you mentioned, I think there was a Stoke volley, was it that season or the the following season as well? Uh, That goal against Stoke was brilliant. Um, I I honestly don't know. I, I really liked him. Like you said, you say before from Hoffenheim as well from watching him in the Bundesliga, and we didn't really get to see. I don't even think like sixty, seventy percent of that even in the first season when Klopp had taken over. To be honest, it was after that really he started to show all the off the ball stuff, all the ridiculous work rate and everything. Once the team had got a bit more settled around him as well, because we sort of had that really narrow sort of three-two-one to begin with, and then there was still quite a lot of you know Arigi in there as well. So. I think by the second season or Cop's first full season, let's say, um, most of that was just like near to the peak of what we were getting from him off the ball, the movement, the starting to combine really well with the new players who'd come into the sides. And I don't honestly know what would even be my favourite Firmino moments. Maybe the the hat trick against Arsenal. I, I don't know. I just love the fact that every time basically he scored it's like the most enjoyable moment in the stadium for yeah. everybody. Everyone loves seeing Firmino yeah, score.
2: Yeah, that's the thing. He is he's almost universally beloved. Um the celebrations have obviously been a, a very big part of Bobby's time at Liverpool. Uh, initially him and Coutinho and then my favorite era was the Mane, Firmino, Coutinho trio in terms of the celebrations, because it just seemed to be an amazing camaraderie between the three of them. They seemed to be having so much fun, which is what obviously made it such a big surprise when Coutinho would push his way out, especially considering we'd added Mo and Phil had gotten his wish of being able to play a bit deeper. And it it seemed like it would make a lot of sense to have the four of them playing together. But rather than let Coutinho's departure kind of dampen his spirit Bobby went from strength to strength after that and that season where Phil leaves midway through is Bobby's best season for us 27 goals in 54 games which really did put to bed a lot of the thought that he couldn't score goals that he couldn't be a number nine and it became clear as it had been to a lot of people who are paying attention the reason he doesn't score 25 goals a season is because he's making those goals. He might not end up with 10, 12, 15 assists. But if you go back and watch the first five seasons of Liverpool. Under Jurgen Klopp. First four and a half seasons of Liverpool under Klopp. And watch every goal. You will see 15 to 18 goals every single season. In which Bobby Firmino plays a vital role. And he chose to do that. And then marry that to his off-ball work rather than being that penalty box number nine that some were calling for us to have.
3: Yeah, I mean, by an absolute mile, he was the most selfless player that we have during that whole period. Um, But the best thing was like, he just never lost any of that technique during that time either. Like even the games where he would be so deep or dropping in to midfield or working back into the fullback areas or anything like that, you'd still see like a little bit of Firmino you know, magic on the good days, the, the, the little turn on the pirouette on the sideline against Villarreal, all that kind of skill still comes to mind when you think about just the moments that he has, not even the best games that he has, to be perfectly honest. And there have been some massive moments for Firmino as well. Let's not forget things like Club World Cup final. In fact, the whole Club World Cup, he was just very, very good. Um, just it's the moments and the little clips and the little gifts even like off the pitch you remember that one after Mane and Salah had, had that little go-to was it against Burnley or something like that they've both been subbed or something like that and then Firmino walking towards the changing rooms after full time up the stairs gives that little side eye to the camera all that kind of stuff from Firmino is just like all the memorable stuff it's what makes him so so likable and that's what will be missed of him really because you know even over the last what year 18 months maybe he has been playing less of a role since Diaz came and he picked up some more injuries and that kind of stuff but even so, all the other stuff that goes around him, you still love to see it. That's why he gets so
2: tall. And like, I will say, I do have, I do have one gripe with Bobby, one, one major gripe with Bobby about his time at the club. And that is when he was at Hoffenheim, he would regularly turn up to games wearing a purple velvet smoking jacket and he never once broke it out for a game for Liverpool. And I was really hoping he'd wear it, just to send all the mad gammons absolutely out of their minds. Like, he did it with the, when he had the top knot, when he got his teeth done. He would get so upset about Bobby and the fact that he looked after himself. I just wanted to see him break out the purple smoking jacket and slippers, like the Hugh Hefner look he used to rock up to games at Hoffenheim with. And that was one of my favourite things about him when he was at Hoffenheim was you just hear about this outlandish personality, nothing untoward, nothing out of order, but just very flamboyant and and outgoing. But you hear stories from people that have had interactions with him outside of the game, just in normal day-to-day life. And what a down-to-earth kind of guy he is and how he has time to stop and talk to people, same of his wife that she's, You know, very much a kind of community-orientated person who's, over their time at the club, developed roots in the city. So this is going to be a tough move for them to move on wherever it is that that Bobby ends up next. There's obviously been a number of rumours. Atletico Madrid, Barcelona, Real Madrid have all been linked to him. I could kind of see the Real thing if they think they can get Haaland or Mbappe next summer. I could see them maybe bringing Bobby in on a short-term deal to be a backup to Benzema for a year or two there's been rumors that he could go to Turkey that he could go to Italy where do you want to see him go
3: <laughs>
2: um, first, let me ask this question I mean I was going to say first that. question do you hmm. think it's the right do you think it's the right decision for him to leave both from his point of view and the club's point of view and then where would you want him to go?
3: Probably it is for him because his role is reduced now and I think for him he's still got enough left to give a first team role to a, a club which is under a top four club in England, which might be a top four club elsewhere. Um, is it the right one for Liverpool? I guess because of the injuries, but if I said at the start of the season I would still offer him another year and just keep Firmino and run him into the ground as much as we can basically and... and just get the use out of him, even if he's not a regular starter anymore. But because the injuries are coming on a little bit more regularly now, maybe it's fine just to have that break now. Uh, I just think that there's such a big turnover with other players leaving on a free as well. He's probably the one who I would have been more happy to keep hold of. Um, but we have been saying for a number of years that the you know, regeneration is overdue and maybe just the best time to do it is, is just now and get it sort of all over and done with yeah. in one go almost. Um, as for where he ends up, I mean, my, my initial thought is I just want him to go somewhere where Liverpool can't play against him, but then that's kind of tempting fate in that I want Liverpool to get into the top four. So, uh, don't want him to sort of go to a Champions League club and that could have that conflict, but I think since he's going to decide after the season finishes anyway, he'll, he'll already know that. So. Um, I would like to see him go somewhere where he can play pretty regularly. I don't think Real Madrid's the one for him, to be honest. I don't think it's
2: the, um, I don't think it's the one if he wants to play regularly, just, but like they will pay him a boatload of money and it's an that, awesome club to be at.
3: Oh, they will? Yes, but I don't really see that as the, let's say the, the culture of the players that sort of seems to suit him, his family, given what we know about them, to be honest. I think there are other clubs which would offer slightly better than that. The Real? Um, and to be honest, even if he... Oh, oh, yeah, absolutely. Loads of them in Spain, but I think he's better than that. But I mean, even if he went to, let's say, like a Bayern Munich, I mean, at the minute, what they're looking at, Eric Masson, Choupa-Moting still being a regular, Sadio Mane maybe being a regular up front. I think there's options there to play up front for a, a better team, you know, a Champions League team, a, a team fighting for honours, but just maybe either don't already have the depth at centre-forward or are a little bit less of a competitive environment than England's top four will be.
2: Yeah, I mean, the, the problem is that any of those clubs, while, you know, he'd make sense, they'll also have better options if they want to go and spend money because, like, we do have to mm-hmm. you just acknowledge the fact that he has declined quite significantly over the years and yeah, he's probably not capable of, be, of being, you know, week to week what what he once was. I'd I'd love to see him go to somewhere like Real. I mean... It's a great club. It's I love the way they're run. Like you know, I'd love to see him go to a Brighton and just embrace, you know, the fact that they would adore him down there. Like I don't want him to stay in England, but you know, if if he was, that's the type of club I'd rather he go to. Um, I think it's the right move for us though because I, I'm glad we kept kept hold of him until now. Like as I said before, I would have sold Sal uh, Salon, Well, I probably would have sold Salah two years ago. But I would have sold Mane in 2020 off the back of the title win if I could have got £100 million, because those type of players can bring in those type of fees. Obi was always a unique player in that his value to us was always going to be greater than it was to another club in terms of a transfer because so few clubs played the way we do. Um, So I'm glad we've kept him, but you look at the situation now Jackbo's ahead of him, Darwin's ahead of him, and Jota's ahead of him. So he's the fourth choice number nine. He's not going to play in either of the wide roles. So there wasn't really going to be a role for him moving forward. Much in all, as as Klopp might have said, oh yeah, we'll carve a role out for you. It would have been, I think it would have harmed the team more than it would have helped to play your fourth number nine And shift other players out of the way to make that happen. So I think it's the right time for everybody. And I'm glad he's he's getting to pick where he goes. It's a good opportunity for him to go and get what will be his last big contract. And hopefully it works out. I I really hope it works out. I see him getting a much bigger farewell than either Sadio or Ginny. Which is a little bit unfortunate but also understandable. He's always been, I think, more beloved than either of them. I think he's probably been more beloved than pretty much anybody in this era. Um, Even like, you know, just because of his personality, because he seems like such a warm, bubbly kind of person. Whereas, you know, Savio at times could seem a little bit sullen. Ginny's role wasn't as spectacular as Bobby's, even though I'd argue it was equally as important. Um... You know he 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 does leave he does leave with a with a big shine. Um, right, moving on then. I want to ask you this question, Carol. What fucking planet are the people who decided to nominate Kieran Trippier for Footballer of the Year living on? <laughs> he's been at, he's been at best the fourth best Newcastle player this year. Ah, uh, Look, like,
3: I, I get very, very tired of going into the awards and stuff, uh, the the detail and the decisions around the awards. There were some fumes of Erling Haaland getting votes. I don't understand. There were not just Kieran Trippier, but other players being voted this year where I wouldn't even put them in the top three in their own team, let alone top five or six in the league. So at the end of the day, it's a subjective thing and people have favourites and there are weird tactical voting things going on, and I really don't care well, for any
2: of it. What I'll say is I don't have an issue with Haaland getting in because he's scored a stupid amount of goals. Uh, I've no issue really with De Bruyne, though I don't think it was his best season. I've no issue with, issue with Kane. I think Kane in a train wreck of a Spurs team has been very good. I do have an issue with Marcus Rashford because... I mean, he won a player of the month early in the season, which was a farce. But there was only, I think, two games in the month. And then he won, I think, two player of the Months coming out of the World Cup. But he's been garbage now for over two months. And he wasn't good for a good chunk of the season before the World Cup. So I do have an issue with that. And I have no issue with Odegaard and Saka. I think they've been unbelievable. But Trippier is just laughable. Laughable. Bruno Gemäres has been absolutely ripped off. And he won't even make the team of the year. That's what's going to piss me off the most. There is no world in which Bruno Gamerich hasn't been one of the five best players in the league this year. He wouldn't have won footballer of the year, but I think he should have been damn close. But he, he won't even make team of the year this year, and it'll be just ridiculous. Botman won't make it either. Enforced Lissandro Martinez in, and William Saliba in, and players that have been wildly inferior to Botman. And the same will happen in midfield. Anyway... Carl, it is time to talk about the main event of the day, and that is Liverpool's trip. Sorry, no, Liverpool's home game, I should say, against Aston Villa this weekend. A rare 3pm kickoff for us of a Saturday. What are your initial feelings going into this game, knowing that we're on this really good run? They had a great run, 10 games unbeaten, including a five-match winning streak. But then they did lose away to Manchester United and Wolves before bouncing back with a win over that hapless Spurs team I mentioned earlier.
3: Uh, Trepidation, anxiety, concern, worry, dread. It is indeed. And let's get
2: right into it, Carl. Unai Emery took over the Aston Villa job on the 1st of November under Mr Emery Aston Villa have played 23 games in the Premier League. And from those 23 games, uh, they have taken a very, very, I think, impressive tally of 45 points. It's just under two points per game. And across the course of a season, it would have been just about good enough to get them a top four finish. Now, obviously, they've still got two games left. They could well lose to us and lose to Brighton, which will knock their points per game tally. But considering, in the 11 games under Steven Gerrard, they took nine points, which is relegation form across a Premier League season. And then in two games under, I believe his name is Aaron Danks, uh, they took took three points from the two games. He took over a team that had 12 points and looked fairly lost, fairly hapless, fairly certain of a season battling relegation and he has taken them up to a position where with two games to go they're still very much in the mix for a European spot your thoughts on your favorite manager Unai Emery
3: <laughs> ah, they've, he's done brilliantly like they've had a really really good middle third of the season um Look, this wasn't a, a difficult turnaround in terms of improving what they had already done because Villa were a shambles. Like, for a large spell of the first third of the campaign, they were really poorly organised. They were not really showing too much consistency in build-up play. Uh, Jared wasn't really getting anything out of the most attacking, uh, sorry, most talented attackers that they had at the club. Like, Coutinho was out of the team by then. Um, Ings was basically not playing. Watkins wasn't really getting the service. And then people like, the, uh Buendia was okay at the start of the season to be fair but like Leon Bailey had a bit of an injury and then he wasn't in the team so they just really had no consistency. Injury to Kamara obviously didn't help as well in midfield um, The turnaround has been basically built on two things. One, having a team structure which is the exact same team structure as Unai Emery has everywhere and it works in terms of making people difficult to beat and you know fairly solid and well organised. People know their jobs a little bit more the best thing, obviously, was the the really good win and run that they had. Was was it six six wins in seven or something like that that they went through from sort of February to the end of Eight wins uh, from ten, or to mid March, uh, mid April. So that was, yeah. So that, I mean, given the given the inconsistency around them, push that would push them up the table so so much. And the home form is always really good under Emery, and the away form is always really bad. But he actually had a really good start away from home as well. I think it was four out of the first five uh, away games, you won something like that. You see recently it's sort of reverted to more like the normal. There's only been two wins out of the last five away from home, and one of them was against Leicester who had someone sent off, and one of them was against Chelsea who were just losing to everybody on the planet at the time. So more in the last two months, let's say, it's been more like you would expect. Good and solid at home, not good and not really creating or scoring too much away from home. Their home form is never going to be a problem under Unai Emery. It is really, really difficult to break down. It's very good on the counter attack because everybody knows their jobs. It's going to be good enough to get them sixth, seventh, eighth place in the table just on the home form. Away from home is where you're going to see any kind of difference. Either he pushes them on and they become a European challenger, or they do not, and he is just. Yeah, what I mean, he six is wins,
2: two draws, and three defeats away from home. Uh, two of the defeats coming at the Etihad. And Old Trafford, which, you know, United have been very good at home this year and City are City. The the Wolves' defeat, I would say, would be the one you'd mark down as a disappointment. Um I think the draw away to West Ham will frustrate them as well. But drawing away to Bournemouth's not a bad result by any stretch. Uh, we found out by going there and getting our arses kicked. And like you said, the home form has been good, but they've also lost three home games. They lost to us, they lost to Leicester, which was a disaster of a game where they should have won comfortably and just gave Leicester goals. And they lost to Arsenal. Again, Again, a game that they could have won, but just started to fall over their own feet and, and gave up two late goals. Um They have been very good under him. And a couple of players in particular have stood out to me. The first one is Ollie Watkins. Uh, This is the all-round package we've been waiting to see from Ollie Watkins. And he went on a great run of scoring, I think in five or six consecutive games. 14 in the league for him this season, which obviously isn't a huge amount. But he's more from that Bobby school as well, where he does so much other stuff for them in terms of his work rate, his hold-up play, running the channels, chasing lost calls, and getting others involved. But I do think you forgive that. What they need to do is find ways to get more goals around him. And a big part of that is going to be Jacob Ramsey and Emmy Buendia, who needed to step up and have. Buendia has been a little bit inconsistent, but I think Ramsey, particularly since around February, I think Jacob Ramsey has been absolutely fantastic for them. And I'd be stunned if he's not capped by England very, very soon. I think he's been tremendous this season, or at least to in in this back part of the season. He's gotten a bit more out of Leon Bailey than Gerrard did. He actually managed to get something out of Bertrand Traore, which no manager has done in about 12 years. Um, there's still issues with the team, but, you know, McGinn has been playing pretty well. Mings has been playing pretty well. Hans is looking more like he did a few years ago, getting solid play from their full-backs, whether it's Matty Cash or or Ashley Young at right back, and then obviously Alex Moreno, who was his big big January splash uh, to come in. He, he's bombed out the likes of Luka Dina, who he just decided weren't up to it. He didn't have any, any fear of doing that. He sent back Bednarak because he just didn't think he was up to the task. I think he's done really well with this group and I think he's put in place at least a basis to build off this summer and we know with them they will spend some money because that's what they've done since they came up. Hello, I'm here to annoy you. I'm here to annoy you into listening to more of me and more of others on EPL Index. We don't just have the Anfield Index stuff, we've got EPL Index as well which covers the entirety. on the EPL Roundtable there every week after the Premier League match week. So make sure you listen to everything we're doing on EPL Index and follow us there on Twitter at EPL Index. Thank you. Bye-bye.
3: Yeah, absolutely. And I think he's earned the right to, you know, get a bit spent on him, basically, and get in the couple of players that he wants. And I think there are fairly clear positions they can upgrade in within this team structure. This is look, this is the best thing about Emery's team. You know exactly how they're going to line up. You know how they're going to try and build up. You know where they need to be compact defensively. And therefore, it's it's much more routine to buy the players that he wants or the players who will fit into that shape and that system. Um, so, I mean, you look at, you know, there could be another midfielder. You know, there's still rumours of Douglas Louise. It might be that he wants an upgrade on Dendonco at least as the third player, let's say, in that central midfield. So, someone alongside Kamara... A full-back probably instead of Cash or Young, because he's had to rely on Young quite a lot at the end of this season. Um, probably a McGinn replacement at some stage. Yet to be seen, because managers really, really like him. And McGinn, like you say, he's playing better, coming in field, not having to dictate the whole centre of the park himself now. He gets to play that narrow right-from-left role, coming inside on his left foot. So it's not the worst role for him at all. It's not yeah, it's, the role. it's kind of a boxy very midfield.
2: Um, so, they have been linked with Giovanni Lacazette who would seem a kind of a natural McGinn replacement but obviously it didn't yeah. really work out for him, it didn't work out for him at all at spurs but Emery does know him quite well and is is a known fan of the player
3: yeah i think that'd be fine to be honest i, I think lacazette i actually thought was alright at spurs like considering the performances of quite a lot of their players around there he was always sort of shifted into a ten or then, you know, they tried to play a three a few times. It was him or Dilly Alley for a period. There was lots and lots of turnaround in that kind of area. And I think there was a couple of loans, I can't even remember who it was now, but a couple of loans that they tried to bring in and it was a bit of a messy time at Spurs team, as it always is. I think Los Elsa would be a pretty good fit for this Villa side, to be honest. Um, the other thing I really like that he's done is getting Buendia much, mm. much higher upfield. Like Buendia really skillful and creative, but he's not the fastest. So he is just often sticking him almost alongside Watkins, basically as the, as the second centre forward. And Watkins has the ability to run in behind. Buendia will work the channels and drop in a little bit deeper. It's, it's a really, it nice is. It is, and
2: here. it's worked well. And, um, I'll be curious to see what he does with their central defence uh, this this summer because Mings, like I say, has played quite well, but he's still Tyron Mings. And he does this from time to time. He fools people in, into forgetting what they've actually seen from him over his career. Uh, they will have.
3: I mean, we can assume that over pre season, they'll have David Carlos. That's also true.
2: That's, also true. That's also true. There is some yeah. question marks.
3: Not that I like him you know, either, I wouldn't but, be a yeah. big
2: fan. I I, I thought the was, signing was weird. But Gerard seemed to be going for a, a kind of an older, you know, kind of win now type group. Um what would what do you think of the rumors around Emiliano Martinez? That has been taught that he could go to either Spurs or Chelsea this summer. I think he'd be a little bit mad to do it, given the kind of state those clubs are in. But you could fully understand him doing it, given it would likely mean a significant increase in his wage, especially at Chelsea. And, you know, those are two of the big six, even though I would argue with anybody that Villa are a bigger club than Tottenham. But the perception is that Tottenham are a bigger club than Villa.
3: Hmm. Um, I mean, like you said before, Villa are not short of a few quid. So if that's uh, a motivating factor, I think the fact that Villa are more likely to be in a European competition than Spurs for next season, plus the fact they could offer him a massive contract if they really wanted to, that might be enough to see him off. I think the only real reason I would say at the minute for Emi Martinez to go to Spurs is that his character enjoys annoying people, and it would probably annoy a lot of the Arsenal people if he then went and signed for Spurs. So I could see him doing it on that basis alone. Um, but, yeah, I, I do think the Chelsea move would be all right, actually. I think that'd be he'd be a good fit for them. He's someone they could rely on for, let's say, four years, five years, something like that. And they've got that building block in place and they have the potential to be a side much higher up the table, much quicker than Villa and Spurs. So I could see that one being one he pushed for. I don't think I would bother. No, Spur, neither do I,
2: unless, unless like you said, should. he wanted to engage in some, you know, full-fledged shithousery with the Arsenal fan base. The Chelsea one, for sure, I mean... They're looking for someone to bridge the gap until they feel Slanina is ready. And that's probably, you know, three, four years. He's a very young goalkeeper. And Emi Martinez would, would fit nicely into that. And like you said, he would give them a, a more solid, reliable presence than what they've had. And, and to be honest, the move to Chelsea would also piss off a lot of Arsenal fans. Um, either way, I think, you know, there's going to be some big changes at Villa this summer. They've had, like we said, a, kind of a, a weird season in that they started so badly and then they've been so good since the, the change of manager. The truth is they're they're not as bad as they were under Gerrard and they're probably not as good as they've been under Emery. Like You're not going to look at that and say, oh yeah, that's a top 14. They're probably somewhere in the middle. And overall, eight is probably about right for this Villa squad. If you're looking at it before the season, you would have said... Well, they'll be in that kind of mix for the Conference League. They might just miss out, but that's what the aim will be. So, all things considered, I think they will be happy with their with their season. Um, they come into this game with a couple of issues, but nothing too drastic. Uh, Callum Chambers is a doubt. Coutinho's done for the year, and Jed Steer is done for the year. None of them will be starters anyway, so we're probably going to see Martinez in goal. Either Cash or Young. Probably Young at right back. Moreno at left back. Conza and Mings. I'm guessing Boubacar Kamara starts in this game. So him and Douglas Luis in the middle of the park. John McGinn one side. Jacob Ramsey the other. Watkins up front. And then it's just a question of, does he want the creativity? And as composure of Emmy Buendia or does he want the pace and trickery of um of Leon Bailey which which do you think he's more likely to go with given we play such a high defensive line
3: yeah I, I know the temptation there is going to say um Bailey because of that but I think Buendia is probably better for them in terms of not uh not obviously launching the counterattacks, but actually being able to play through our midfield gaps and creating the counter-attacks, let's say. They don't have to just hit it long and look for speed in behind every single time, but playing that first ball past our little midfield three or four. Buendia's really, really good at picking up spaces. He's also very, very good at evading tackles one on one. And I don't really like the enjoy the thought of him sidestepping Fabinho and then going into space behind him. Uh, I would be more fearful of that and Buendia put putting the pass rather than Leon Bailey just running. Yeah, experience. I
2: mean, I suppose it just depends on which which player getting targeted will worry you more, Andy Robertson or Firmino, because Bailey will target the space behind Robert, uh, Andy Robo. and what we've seen with Robble in the last eighteen months is he's not he's not the defender he was. He's lost a little bit of speed. He's lost a little bit of that aggression and that timing that he had. But I think I do agree with you. I think the bigger risk is is Buendia because if he can start dropping into the space behind Fabinho and attracting a lot of attention in there, it probably opens things up a bit more for him again to move in field. And then the big worry for me on the other side is Jacob Ramsey and someone tracking him when he moves from out to in. Because he might well come narrow and stand in behind Trent and then run off Trent's shoulder. And that's something we're, we're yet to see a team try is somebody running off the back of Trent. And how will that work? Like if they're not just running down the touchline, but they're running kind of between the goalposts, I think Ramsey's quite lethal in that role. So yeah. this is going to be a tough game. I mean, I know, you know, we're all getting a bit carried away with this this run that we're on and seven wins in a row. And we're looking at, 71 points if we can see out the season and we all expect that we'll go and we'll beat Southampton on the final day but this is this is set to be a tough game, I, I don't think there'll be anything easy off this team
0: I don't need a VPN, I've got nothing to hide <laughs> This is what I used to tell myself before I hooked up with LibertyShield.com Not only is my home internet now fully encrypted but I can now access all the websites I want, whenever I want, and do so from absolutely anywhere. As a Liverpool fan, I love to know I can now watch every match, regardless of whether it's on UK TV or not. My Liberty Shield VPN makes sure nothing is blocked, and guarantees me super-fast streaming speed throughout that match. You can get connected right now with their software package, which includes a 48-hour no-obligation free trial, and instant access to their apps for Apple, Android, Fire TV, PC, Mac, and Android TV. Or, go a step further like I have and get one of their pre-configured VPN routers. These small but powerful devices allow you to easily connect every device in your home to VPN, making it the perfect solution for smart TVs, magboxes, and games consoles. Visit Libertyshield.com today and use coupon code AIVPN25 to get 25% off at checkout.
3: No, I don't. Um, I mean, like, I think you could make the case that if Liverpool score first or score early or anything like that, then there might not be the full amount of fight or full amount of frustration from Aston Villa that they could provide or that they have provided in other games this season. um, Just because they're... A tiny bit off, maybe fighting for things absolutely at the final game of the season kind of thing, but it won't be difficult to break them down unless we do it, like I say, very very early on. If the game gets into some sort of pattern, it's you know our possession against their organisation. That's the most difficult thing to break down in this because it's such a narrow four midfield. As if he starts, will probably drop in as an extra one as well at times. Um, like I said, they they they're really really happy to sit off the ball and not have. Sp- Possession for relatively long spells. Uh, they're very compact, deep line. Martin is a really good keeper, so it's a difficult setup to break down. It always is, but you know they, we've seen Emory teams everywhere, and they're always the same in terms of if they don't, if they're not right there in terms of the mentality setup, they can be very difficult for them to. Break out of shape. You know, we talk about maybe the threat from Ramsey in behind or Wendeer or whatever. But as a team, as a unit, it's sometimes really difficult for those Emery teams to break out of that four in front of four and get people forward in support to, to cause you real trouble. We seem to be able to offer up chances to teams when they're just running with two and three players, so maybe that's not such an issue. Um, you know, Watkins got good pace and Ramsey's really athletic as well as his technical ability, so. Maybe they'll have enough to trouble us just like that, but I could see very, very quickly this game being set in a pattern of Liverpool's possession, recircling it the width of the pitch and waiting for them to open up spaces by Yeah, the I think that's dumped. very
2: fair. Um, one interesting wrinkle with their midfield against our new midfield shape is that their box midfield will match up with our box midfield. And I do wonder how we'll cope with that, because one of the Big bonuses of this recent shift of shape is the amount of time and space that Trent is getting on the ball because the midfield, as it was, is realigning itself and the opposition midfield is kind of realigning to match it. So, someone's dropping a bit with Henderson, someone's dropping a bit with Jones, and someone else is staying with Fabinho. And when Trent comes in field, the opposition left winger is tending to stay wide. So Trent is playing with no shadow, but Villa shift into a box all the time. So I do wonder how we will cope with that if Trent finds he's not getting the same amount of time and space, and he's not able to dictate the game the same way, and he's not we're not able to find him with the simple passes that because he's in open space. If he's got Ramsey snapping in and around his heels, I do wonder how that alters how we play. Do we have a plan B out of this? Is there a different way we can go and look to start building our attacks? So that's something I'll be interested to see as well. In terms of our team selection though, Carl, are you expecting pretty much the same team that played against Leicester? Ali, Trent, Ibu, Virgil, Robertson, Henderson, Fabinho, Curtis, Salah, Gakpo, Diaz. Are you expecting any changes?
3: That exactly. Yeah, um it? I,
2: I just I don't think he's got any option in midfield. I mean Curtis deserves to be in, Fabinho deserves to be in. I just don't think there's a third option. Um and despite the fact that both Gakpo and Diaz were I thought were quite poor against Leicester, or Diaz's case very poor against Leicester, I, I do think that they should both stay in the team. And then I assume Bobby appears on sixty five for Cody. And probably Jota comes on at some point for um for Diaz. Uh, we best hope that we're ahead, oh, because if we if this game gets to the late stages and they're they're one up and in their fucking block and just throwing themselves in front of things, they're going to be hard enough to break down.
3: Yeah, for sure. I mean, I, I think that it's quite important we we'll score first in this game. But like I say, over the last few matches away from home, Villa have not been really there in terms of the creativity in their game. They've not quite had the numbers in support that they did previously. Uh, obviously, haven't scored in the last two away from home and only one against Brentford in the match before that. So it's a little bit end of season with them. and. Hopefully that continues and that they don't, you know, overcommit numbers and all the rest of it. But at the same time, like we just made the point, sometimes Liverpool just seem to mm-hmm. give up chances to just one or two attackers, and that could be all they need, especially, you know, Ollie Watkins has had successes against us in the past, let's say. Um I don't think we'll get anywhere near full 25, 30 minutes out of Firmino, by the way. I think if he think. comes on, it's inside the final 10.
2: I don't care if he's on crutches and it's for the last 5 seconds i want him coming on to the pitch at some point because i think the reception he's going to get will be incredible and his song should ring out for every single second he's on the pitch what is your prediction for this game
3: i am going to go for an entirely routine 2-0 to liverpool for goal
2: scorers. um trent and mark okay i'll go i'll go 2-1 i'll go 2-1 I'll go Mo and I'll go Mo and Diaz. But I think I think
3: Are you not are you not impressed with I our am, team sheets
2: I am but I'm also aware of who we've played and we've played shit teams and gotten green cheats against teams that were going on the beach and we've been very reliant on a certain somebody in goal to save our arses in pretty much every game but I still think this Villa team have have certain things that will cause us trouble in this shape those two wide midfielders coming narrow and into the space between our defense and our midfield that worries me and Watkins he's just like every goal he scores against us seems to hit like four different people before it goes in. And it was actually something he meant as a cross and not a shot. So I just think something will fluke its way into the net. But I think we'll be 2-0 up when that happens. Um, I would love nothing more, though, than, you know, 2-1 up. They're chasing the game and we manage to catch them. And Bobby scores in front of the cop to just wrap things up and just goes headlong into the cop and starts lepping around like a lunatic. Nothing would make me happier than seeing Bobby Firmino crowd-surf up the cop. If, if it doesn't happen, I'll be outraged. Um, right, anything you want to plug before we go?
3: No, I think people should just go and watch another Bobby show. Firmino. That is a great videos.
2: I would like to draw attention to a couple of things before we go. Uh, number one, there's lots and lots of good writing on the Anfieldindex.com website. Uh, Our news team are working very, very hard to put everything together and make sure that not just opinion columns and stuff, but there's lots of news pieces and kind of all the up-to-date Liverpool stuff is there as well. So check that out. Check out all the podcasts because we do, we do, others work very hard at this, um, including Guy and Nina who kind of make the whole machine run. And finally, um, we have one game left in this season after this one. Uh, We have been running a competition between myself, Carl, and Guy all year on lateness. And the expectation, I think, was, and the reason this was put in place, was so that these two could laugh at me, because my lateness is quite notorious. Uh, Carl Matchett has managed to compile 89 minutes of lateness thus far. So even one minute of lateness, even one minute of lateness... For the Southampton game, we'll see you to a full ninety on the season. Now, considering you also missed one or two pods across the the season for games, I think that's a hell of an effort.
1: I no, you were very the late moment. at four it's times, and late. we let you
2: off on three of them. <laughs> you were two hours late one day and argued your way out of it. I, however,
3: I have the best uh, pod appearance ratio of the three of us all season, so I'm, I'm keeping that. <laughs> so
2: let's not even start. You might have done more of these than me. Uh, you don't produce more, you don't do more than me. I have lapped the field on this.
3: I, I produce Guy, more. however, than is you. <laughs> claiming to
2: only have had a. El- I have 11 minutes. Yeah, but I'm in the backdrop Two of them are a little bit questionable. Guy is claiming to have only been late for 11 minutes. There have been two recent occasions, and we want votes on this. Two recent occasions where Guy has been late. One because he claims he was asleep, which is just shambolic. And one because he was walking the dog or something and didn't check his phone.
3: No, no. The, the set, well, the first one, I was asleep, but I did not agree to the time, which is the only rule we have. And the other one, I was walking... I set off walking the dog, expecting to come back. Okay, we'll do two-footed, it's, all it's, that just sound
2: like And then when so I check my I think phone, you have all agreed to do a scouting without my knowledge. So thing how thing the hell am I supposed season. to agree to something? And, I didn't know Shame on both of you. Shame on both of you that, I, that I'm not just flat last. The fact that me and you are level, guy, speaks badly of you. No, you... no, I'm not having a bit of it. I'm not having a bit of it. Right, we will leave it there. Uh, like I Most said, check out everything are on from Anfield. Next, making me late because um, of two footed anyway. So like, I blame you. App. follow Carl. I blame on Twitter you. At Carl Matchett. Check out his work on the Independent and the odd time he writes a bit of stuff for This Is Anfield as well. So, check that out and uh, follow Guy Drinkle at Guy Drinkle and Yeah, don't bother following me because I'll probably just have you to go away. Take care. Bye-bye.
1: We hope you enjoyed listening to this Anfield Index show. Please be sure to subscribe to our channel so future podcasts find their way to your device automatically. There's nothing quite like fan engagement, and we'd love to know what you think of anything discussed on this show. The best way to get in touch is over on our free Discord community